Welcome to Beyond the Fail, the podcast where we talk to leaders and entrepreneurs about their biggest business failures. We'll deep dive into how they overcame these setbacks, the lessons they learned from them, all to help you gain valuable insights. Failure is an essential part of the business journey, as well as being the key to success. So we're here to show you how to thrive from it. In this episode, we have Jeanette Linfoot, a former CEO with 27 years experience in travel and hospitality sectors. She's worked for some huge companies, including TUI, Saga PLC, and Thomas Cook. She's won awards, including Businesswoman of the Year. She now has a plethora of business interests, including property investing, board advising, mentoring, and consultancy on mergers and acquisitions. She's also host of the Brave, Bold, and Brilliant podcast. Today, you'll hear her talk about doing a business deal in Moscow surrounded by gun violence and also picking the wrong location for her new business. She has a wealth of knowledge, so I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. This is Beyond the Fail with Jeanette Linford. Hi and welcome, um, Jeanette. Thanks so much for being here. Um, how, are, how are you doing today? I am excellent, thank you, Jez. Lovely to see you. Thank you so much for being here. I know this has been something we've been trying to arrange for a while and, and get something in between your hectic schedule. Um, so yeah, really appreciate your time. And I know you've obviously got a lot of experience to be um, you know, sharing with, with the listeners. So um, yeah, really kind of honored for you to kind of be uh, appearing on, on the podcast. Um, so take us back. Where did it kind of all start for you? Oh gosh, big, well, life started for me in Manchester, um, as you can probably tell from my dulcet northern tones. I'm a Mancunian, don't hold it against me. Um, so yeah, life started uh, back up in Manchester as the youngest of three daughters. So I was, you know, brought up by my parents, Doreen and Arthur, had a very loving kind of childhood, really very normal, I would say. Um, but, you know, I was I was the only one to go to university in my family. And and I guess being the youngest, I, I kind of knew at quite a young age that I, I was sort of a bit different to my sisters. I didn't quite know how, but I knew that you know, my life was not going to be just to stay in Manchester, even though it's a great city and I'm very proud of where I'm from. So, um, yes, I went off to off to university, stayed up north and uh, did an economics degree back in the day. Um, and then I graduated in 93, came out with the first. So I was very pleased with that. Um, but there was a big recession. So I was applying for hundreds, I mean, literally hundreds of jobs. And I couldn't get anything, even though I had a great degree. Um, Even rugby cement turned me down and McCain oven chips. Even they didn't want me. (laughs) I can feel it still feels raw than now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, rugby cement, come on. You know, it's hardly the most glamorous of businesses, is it? But but yeah, so I guess that was my early, early years of um, from a work point of view, thinking what the hell's going on here? Um, how do I get out of this? And uh, eventually I got a job as a government economist, actually. So I moved to London and I was in the government economic service for a couple of years. But I knew that it wasn't where I wanted to spend my kind of career, really. Good first job. Um, and then I jumped into the travel industry where I've spent most of most of my career to date, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, a little bit of time. And, and you mentioned that you didn't want to necessarily see yourself um in you know in that civil service civil service job and you saw your your career elsewhere what what, did you know what that exactly looked like did you want to go into travel um i think i don't know whether i specifically specifically chose travel really but i'll tell you what happened when i was at uni i'd applied for the graduate scheme at thomson holidays which is now part of tui so you'll have probably heard of, of tui but thomson was the market leader at the time and they'd rejected me i didn't get it so there's a bit of a theme here i'm quite stubborn <laughs> so even though i wasn't a typical kind of graduate trainee i'd been working for a couple of years i i, I just applied again and um, they took me on and they said, oh, well, actually, because you're already graduated, why don't you come on board early? So I started with them. I think it was in the May 95, I think this would be. And then I joined the graduate scheme in the September. So, you know, I think then I knew I wanted to be in a fast moving industry. 
that was a B2C brand where the, you know, the customer was at the heart of it. And uh, yeah, I love traveling, but I never really thought at that point that was going to be, you know, my, where I spend so, so many years, but it kind of gets you, it grabs you as an industry. People stay in travel and tourism or hospitality a long time, very often. And did you, you know, have sort of future aspirations of, you know, being a CEO or board member and having lead, leadership positions? As you, were you always quite ambitious? Yeah, always ambitious, always ambitious. So always wanted to, always knew I wanted to be the boss and running a big, a big business. Um, but I didn't quite know, you know, what that looked like exactly. Um, but even as a kid, you know, at, at school, I was a girly swap. You know, mum and dad never had any problems getting me to do my homework. And I, it was probably, Jez, that, that little girl in me saying, hey, I'm here. You know, I want the adoration. I want the recognition. I've, haven't I done, you know, good girl, good girl. So I think that has probably driven me quite a lot over the years. Um, so I've always been very diligent. I've always, I've always worked, worked really hard. I would challenge anyone to outwork me, actually. And that's still, that's still a theme today. You know, I think you've mm -hmm. got to put, the, you've got to put the hard effort in if you want something. Um, it's not just going to get, like, you know, handed to you on a plate. So that strong work ethic definitely came from my parents, in particular my dad. Um, so yeah. And you said that, um, you know, you felt different to the rest of your family and then you kind of wanted the adulation. Was that because you were the youngest? Probably. Yeah, probably. I think, um, you know, when there's three girls as well, you know, it can be a bit can be a bit crowded. And if yeah. you've got two two parents, um, you know, sometimes you, you know, sometimes you can feel like you're you're the one that's sort of left out or whatever, you know. So I guess that was always in me a little bit um, competing in a way, even though I knew that my, you know, I, I was very different to my sisters. I mean, we've got great relationships, don't get me wrong, but, you know, they chose a very different path to me that's not better or worse. It's just very different, you know. So I didn't stay in Manchester. I didn't settle down and have a family, you know. I chose to explore the world and, and kind of push out of my comfort zone in, in a big way. Um, and yeah, I've failed a lot along the way and I've had lots of wins along the way. But I think, yeah, it's probably most people, when they look back, there's probably something in their childhood that is maybe driving them, I would say. A lot of people 100%. have that. Yeah. yeah. And was that related to, you know, that, that kind of ambition that you mentioned, I suppose, where did you get the kind of confidence? You said you knew you always wanted to be a boss of a big company. Where did you get that kind of level of confidence from and that, and that kind of mindset? That's, you know, that does feel a bit different. Yeah, I don't know, actually. I mean, I think my outgoing personality, I'm very much an extrovert and that comes from my dad. You know, my dad would be, you know, the first on the karaoke. It'd be the one that's sort of, you know, entertaining everyone, the big showman. Um, my dad was a plumber, so he was never academic, you know, in that way at all. But he was certainly a really big personality and would always, in actual, probably my dad, looking at him now, as a, he's not, he's passed away 11 years ago, my dad. But when I look now, I think maybe there was an element of him looking to be loved and adored as well, you know, um, and maybe it comes from, comes from that. But the outgoingness, definitely from my dad, I would say probably the business savvy more from my mum. My mum was quite, she's, my mum's still alive today, yeah, which is great. She was quite entrepreneurial. Um, but yeah, I'm just quite stubborn. And I always think, you know, why play small? You know, why not be the boss? Why not me? But I didn't, so I think I had the, the drive and the determination, the work ethic, and maybe a, a stubbornness that why can't it be me? But I wouldn't say at that point in my life I had, you know, unquestionable self-belief. I definitely didn't. I used to suffer a hell of a lot with imposter syndrome. I used to have to really kind of work on my, you know, internal dialogue, shall we say. But I think it's um, when you put yourself out to the world, you meet interesting people as well that kind of show you an alternative option, an alternative way of living or a different culture to be part of. So I think for me, when I moved to London, you know, it was, oh, my gosh, wow, you're in the capital and it's busy and it's crazy. It's 
I've everything and, and nothing, nothing is off limits. You know, you see every manner of cultural, you know, kind of melting pot. And I think that definitely sort of, you know, opened my eyes to how, how colourful and exciting life could be, really. And you mentioned about um, imposter syndrome and, you know, we were kind of talking offline about that as well. Was that something you faced when, even when you were in the sort of, you know, the, your most senior positions? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. I mean, I think when I look back at all of the real pivotal kind of points in my career, whether it was, you know, moving to London and joining the government economic service where 80% of government economists had their degree from Oxford, Oxford or Cambridge. I got mine from Leeds, you know, I got a first, but I was really happy with that, but it was still from Leeds. So I definitely felt like I didn't fit in and I wasn't posh enough. Um, <laughs> and I spoke with a really broad <laughs> yeah. accent. So I'd say then, um, I think when I got my first director position, um, when I was at, at Thompson in the early days, yeah, I, I thought, oh my gosh, can I do this? Um, when I got promoted to become managing director of the, what was called the Emerging Markets at TUI and I got asked to go to Russia, naturally my first reaction was, oh my God, I can't do this. I don't speak Russian. I've never bought any businesses. I had to go buy three businesses and then rebrand the whole thing, you know. When I went to China, same thing again. You know, when I decided to leave TUI and become the CEO of the travel division for Saga, again, oh my gosh, can I do this? So I think at every big sort of turning point, I've always had those niggling feelings of self-doubt and insecurities, but I've just really had to try and constantly work on myself. And that's through a combination of positive self-talk um, by surrounding yourself with the right people that can encourage and help you grow and um, by sometimes cutting certain people out of your life because they just don't get where, where you want to go to and they're, maybe they're too risk, so risk averse, you know. Um, so I would say it's a common theme. And actually, when you look at it, about 70% of people say that they've suffered with feelings of imposter syndrome. And that's men and women, mind, mind you. Um, but yeah, very often being the only woman in the boardroom was quite tough. I say the only woman in the boardroom, the only woman in the boardroom often with a profit and loss account, you know, because very often you'll, you'll typically find that, you know, you'll have female HRDs. I'd like to see more male HRDs, you know, so, yeah. you know, that I definitely had had a very alpha male boss um, as well, which made it quite challenging. I had to adapt to that. But I always used to say to myself, well, if you walk into the room thinking there's going to be a problem, there will be, won't there? You know, because I, I'm a big believer in in kind of you attract this stuff to you. Um, so I've always had it. Um, I have it less now as I'm the grand old age of 51. But it still rears its head every now and then. Um, so, yeah, I think it's 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 just really finding little tr tricks and tools that you can apply to your own situation. That's going to help you um, get through some of those challenges lot to unpack there in terms of that self-talk just to understand what you know what what does that look like does that does that look like you know affirmations in the in the morning does it look like standing in front of the mirror and you know having some kind of mantra you know what what, what does that look like well for me I am um, yeah it's, it's my morning routine so there's a great book actually which I'd recommend to anyone. It's called The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. You may have heard may have heard of it. It's a very very short short read actually, but yeah. So my morning routine, I really protect the first couple of hours of my day because that's for me completely selfishly for my time. And you know, in the morning, I <laughs> I am a creature of habit with it whenever I can anyway, which is probably ninety percent of the time. So I will do my um my breathing uh, so sometimes it's, it'll be a bit of more meditation type stuff otherwise sometimes it just might be some kind of breathing and just spending time in silence i will do my affirmations so i say out loud what i want and, and you know really kind of um feel like i'm already in that place and then i do my visualization so I'll, I'll lie there with my eyes closed and I, I really picture, um, you know, that future state that I'm looking to achieve. 
Um, and yeah, and then when I'm exercising, um, I always train in the morning. So exercise is really important to me. If I don't train, I just don't feel on my game. So that could be a run. Like this morning, I went for a run along the seafront. You know, yesterday I went to the gym. It just varies. But I find that is really cathartic, especially when I'm running, because it's quite meditative, actually. You know, mm. when you're sort of on your own and you just you just got the yeah it's beautiful you know the the waves are crash, crashing in and or if you listen to music or a podcast so there's a whole bunch of stuff really jez that i do um that just helps me and some people probably think i'm totally woo woo totally mad but i don't care because if it works for me then it's good for me isn't it you know i'm not harming anyone i'm just doing what's going to put me in the best shape possible so those are some of the things that i do anyway and you know uh, so many successful people do have have similar kind of morning routines. So, you know, you've only got to look to copy the successful people who are already doing it to, uh, you know, to, in order for to, for you to be successful. Really, that's that would be my counter argument to anyone that's got a, you know that's a bit cynical about that. Is that mm. something that you've always done then? You know, throughout you know or is that something that's kind of quite recent? Was that what what you were doing when you had those moments of doubt? Um, earlier in your career? No, I don't think I was. I, I was I was definitely doing parts of the, the exercise stuff. I would I would do that. But I would say I found this sort of more of an inner peace, I suppose, with, with my little routine in the last probably the last four or five years since I've come mm. out of corporate. Um, and that's that's probably down to a few things. I think um I'm probably surrounded by people that are into that a bit more now. Mm in my life whereas I, before I, I I wasn't so much um but yeah my partner Chris he he's always been a massive big kind of voracious listener to motivational videos and podcasts way before I was you know uh, so that's that's kind of useful because he'll say oh have a listen to this one it's great you know um so I think again when you've got people in your life that that's what what's helping them it just opens your eyes to it but no it, I, it wasn't something I did in my younger years I wish I had I wish I'd known then how beneficial it was, mm. um, you know, but I think the, think the issue is when, you, when you're younger, certainly for me, I was always so driven to achieve the results and to get the promotion and onto the next thing, onto the next thing, that it was push, 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 push. Whereas now, you know, you realize that you need, there's a yin to every yang, right? So if you do yoga, um, you know, a lot of yoga poses are really quite challenging. But if you do yin yoga, which is all about the holding the poses and stretching and very kind of slow, it's a total contrast. Right. And that's what you need. You need both. Whereas when I was younger, it was all about drive, 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 mm. all go. And I, I would have benefited massively if I got into this kind of stuff when I was younger. So if anyone who's younger is listening, don't leave it later, you know, have a go at some of this stuff. And it might not all be for you. It might just be that you need to, I don't know, have a, a quiet walk on your own for half an hour. It doesn't, you don't have to, you know, all of a sudden become a massive yoga or, you know, into your meditation, but find the thing that's going to give you space in your head to, to make sure you're in the best mental health possible. You've just got to yeah? find what works for you, right? 100%, 100%. And you mentioned about the, you know, the difficulty of, of being, you know, one of the only, um, you know, women on the boards. And I'm sure that was, you know, much more prevalent as well, you know, you know, it's kind of 20 years ago. And what kind of impact did that have or what kind of barriers did that put up and how, you know, how did you kind of overcome them? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the challenge is when you when you don't see so many role models, that are are doing the thing that you want to do it it can sometimes make you feel subconsciously that maybe you can't achieve that right whereas if you see other people that kind of look like you sound a bit like you maybe come from a similar background and they're doing the thing that you know maybe two or three steps ahead of where you want to be it's much easier then to think well if they can do it i can do it too and i think for me that was one of the challenging times because there weren't that many women that were actually you know sort of role models 
um, unfortunately, at the time. You know, I mean, but even now, Jez, you know, if you look at the top 100 businesses in the UK, the FTSE 100 businesses, only 8% have female CEOs. Wow. 8%. I think there's more men called John that are CEOs of the top 100 businesses than there are women. I mean, what the hell's going on? It's just ridiculous, you know. So even though we've made a lot of progress, and we have 100%, it's not the same as when I was I was back, you know, sort of forging my career. But it's still there's still some way to go. Um, and then we're not, you know, don't talk about broader diversity, equity, and inclusion because yeah. we've got even further to go when it comes to LGBTQ plus, when it comes to disability, culture, social mobility, you know. So it's moved on massively. I think the things that I found difficult and when I was younger, and some of the maybe some of the, the female listeners might appreciate this, I thought in order for me to get on in the corporate world, I had to behave more like a man. Right. Right. So, you know, and that would manifest it in me being quite bullshit, I would say, and a little bit more, you know, kind of sharp elbows, you know, a little bit more, oh, I'll, I'll show them kind of approach, mm. right? And as I got, as I realized, and that comes back to the belief, right? Because if you really feel comfortable in your own shoes and you know you're good enough, deep down in your heart, you won't, you won't put on an act. You'll just be the best version of you. But I definitely, you know, in my younger career, would have been I would have behaved more alpha female than would be my natural style. So I am quite bullshit and I am quite out there anyway. But now I try to be me. I try to be I am I am feminine. I am a woman, you know. But I even used to wear very, you know, quite stiff trouser suits and things, you know, to the office. And I remember once that might getting have been the fashion of the, the early you know the, the early two thousands though as well, right? Well, well maybe it was. <laughs> there were probably some big shoulder pads and things like that yeah. going on as well. But but even then, you know, I remember getting a three sixty feedback from my team. Um and I had a coach at the time and we, maybe we talk about mentors and coaches, but I had a coach at the time and they did this three sixty, you know, in terms of your peer group, your 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 colleagues, your boss people that work with you, work for you, et cetera. Um, and I remember it came back, all this really great feedback, but it said, and you know, very professional, blah, 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 always in a suit and a, and a little bit intimidating. Seriously. Mm. And I got that feel, and I was really surprised. I hadn't thought about it. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. But when I'm out of work, you know, I mean, I wear the red top today. You know, I like bright colours and, you know, kind of quite feminine. I like dresses and handbags and shoes and, you know, stuff like that. That's me. I'm quite a girly girl, you know. But I wasn't bringing that into the work environment. So I changed quite a lot. I, pretty, I probably went and had a massive retail splurge and bought loads of new stuff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I, I know it sounds like a small thing, but it's actually quite important because you're not being your true you. Mm. So so I would definitely, um, coming back to your original question, I think I was a lot more bullshit. I was probably a lot more, not argumentative, that's the wrong word, but I would probably stand my ground and be a lot more stubborn. Whereas as I've got a bit older, I kind of think, well, pick the right things. You know, you don't have to sweat the small stuff. You don't have to win every single argument. Make your point fine, but do it in a way that's congruent with your values. So I, I, I'm definitely a, a softer version of me now than I was back then because, as I say, I, I thought, well, if, if you're all surrounded by aggressive men, then you become an aggressive female, right? Um, and that's not the way. You don't yeah. need to do it that way. Definitely not. But that was obviously a way of you moulding into that environment and, and kind of, I suppose, being kind of accepted in, in that culture at, at, at the time. Um, mm. And that's obviously, you know, a, a great lesson. You've only, uh, I suppose, changed because of that 360 feedback, which I'm sure at the time may be quite difficult to hear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing about feedback, isn't it? You know, <laughs> sometimes it can hold a mirror mm. up and you think, mm. oh, my God, is that really me? Am mm. I really that person? You know, and I'm, I'm a Gemini, so I'm not massively into like the horoscopes, but I do think I'm quite, I can be quite different in different situations situations you know um I'm a, bit, I'm a big softie really you know but um yeah i think i think now you know if i was advising my younger self i'd be saying believe in yourself you are good enough you haven't got anything to prove to anyone and just kind of just calm down a bit 
you know what I mean? Don't sweat mm. all of it. Don't, don't panic about things. Don't sweat things so much. Don't take things so much to heart. It's a job. It's business. No one is dying at this point of time, mm. you know, and so don't take, so don't that, take yourself too seriously, you know. But surely that went along with the, the ambition and the drive, you know, that yeah. those two things come hand in hand a bit, don't they, really? Yeah, yeah, what, definitely. What was, the, what was the, I suppose, from that, you know, from your corporate career, what is the sort of proudest moment or the sort of most significant um, success that you, you, you had? Oh, it's a great, it's a great question, actually. Um, I, I would say there's probably, for my corporate life, um, I think there's two, probably two points of, of where I was really proud. I think one was earlier in my career where I was at Thompson and they had three businesses in Spain that were really struggling. And I got asked to go out to Barcelona to turn these businesses around. Um, so I was only, I would probably have been 28 at the time. So quite a lot of responsibility for someone yeah. quite young, you know, in, the, in that scenario. So I went and lived in Barcelona for a year. I was back and forward and stuff. But I got under the skin of those businesses. And it was the first time that I'd had sort of full visibility of a P&L. And, and I think, you know, back then, I suppose, not 28, it's not really young, but it's not old either to have that, that level of responsibility. So I think that was probably quite a pivotal moment for me because it showed me that I could run a whole business in a very different environment and do a turnaround because these were failing businesses. So that was the first one. And then I think the other one, which is really hard to, to see now, actually, is when I got asked to go to Russia, to head up the emerging markets for TUI. And obviously seeing what's happening in Russia and Ukraine now is is, is heartbreaking, right? Um, but at that time, you know, I, I got asked, will you go to Russia to set up a joint venture with one of Russia's oligarchs to buy three businesses, two in Russia, one in Ukraine, with two languages that you don't speak, with three existing businesses that you, you, you're not to mess them up because they're trading businesses to rebrand the whole thing as TUI, relaunch the entire proposition. It's quite a big thing. No <laughs> and, pressure. And, yeah, exactly. You know, so I spent probably all in three, three and a half years in, in Moscow and between Moscow and Kiev, you know, and it was one of the toughest times. It's probably the toughest point in my career. Um, I'd learned that I learned a huge amount. Um, but yeah, it was really hard. Different business environment. I bought three businesses and these businesses had all this like what you call black black money swilling around. Right. Well, you know, two is a two is a listed business, right? You can't operate like that. So you have to whiten the businesses, sort out all this cash really complex deal structures, you know, had to, for tax reasons, was sort of legal entities out of Cyprus. It was complicated. Um, and, and I never, you know, if you'd ask, if you're that little girl growing up in Stratford, you know, to go and do that, I would have been like, oh my God, you know. So I think for me, it, it just made me realise that when you often get thrown out of your environment, that's when you really, really where you find out how good you are because it tests you in lots of different ways that you never anticipated. Um, so, you know, when we're talking about thriving in failure, did I get everything right during that time? No, I absolutely did not. Um, you know, but did I learn a hell of a lot? Bloody hell. And was I really proud of what, that I survived it? And I kind of thrived because what that did for me then, it, it really put me on a path to, to then get the next kind of role, which was a promotion to managing director. And then I was out in China. I was running the teams in India, doing deals in Brazil, looking to buy the market leader over there for 600 million quid. You know, so it, it, it really was a massive turning point of do you go, give it a go, knowing that you might not succeed? Or do you say no and never, ever know how you would have done? So I said yes, and I just thought, well, you know, how bad can it be, right? I'll give it a go. If I mess it up, I'm going to learn something. What's the worst that can happen? They'll sack me. Oh, well, never mind. I'll go and get another job, you know? Mm. Well, I mean, also, you've been given quite a quite a, a huge task to undertake. So, you know, uh, even giving it a go is obviously an amazing kind of uh, achievement. 
you, you kind of mentioned a few things there, um, and I don't know if you're able to, you know, to, to talk about them given they're, you know, listed businesses and, you know, there's obviously sensitivities around there. But you mentioned firstly that the, sp- the Spanish businesses were, um, they were failing, mm. which is obviously, you know, a great thing to dive into in terms of, you know, this podcast. Why were they failing? Are you, are you able to talk about that? Yeah, um, yeah, at a high level. I mean, I think a sort of a lack of attention, really, and, and not having a clear strategy in terms of where they were going to go. Uh, I think also they had been a bit neglected within the group. So often you can find in large organisations that you might have smaller businesses that could have been acquired, maybe brought into an organisation. And very often they just don't, they don't survive in the big machine. You know, and, and, and I think innovation is a real challenge in large organisations um, because you tend to find the entrepreneurial spirit gets kind of snuffed out, if you like. So I think there was a combination of things. One, one sort of acquired businesses that then sort of didn't really fit with the big machine. Um, some some sort of legacy stuff where they, it wasn't really clear, are these standalone businesses? Should they be run together? What's the strategy going forward? Um, I, would, I would say that there were some people challenges as well, you know, in terms of have you got the right people in those organisations to take them forward? So there was a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but I mean, what a brilliant opportunity as well at quite a young age, um, you know, but I suppose during that time as well, one of the things that I definitely have been guilty of not doing that I would recommend everyone does not do this themselves is enjoy the ride along the way. Because again, right, I was so focused on delivering what I needed to get done did I enjoy living in Barcelona? Yes, I did enjoy it. But did I enjoy it as much as I could have done? Definitely not. Because I was so focused or so tunnel visioned on work, 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 get the job done, that I didn't stop and smell the coffee along the way. And But those times don't come back. You know, I'm sounding like a real old, old fart now. But, you know, <laughs> but seriously, they don't. You know, they, those times don't come back, you know, whether it's so whatever phase you are in, in your business life, your personal life, just really try and enjoy those times because you never know. I don't have a reason to go to Russia now and look what's happening over there now. You know, did I enjoy the ride as much as I could have done? Probably could have enjoyed it more. And I don't mean not deliver, actually, but you can get a better, a better balance so, so yeah, I think that that's something that I've definitely been guilty of with that real drive. That drive and ambition is what's made me successful, for sure, right? But equally, the flip side is, as I'm now older, a bit, bit wiser, I now really try hard to enjoy the ride, recognising that I didn't as much as when I when I, in my younger career, as I could have done. Do you think you missed out? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. On what? Well, probably more of the cult- cultural immersion, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, you can you can still you can still do the business and do it in the right way, but is it going to kill you if you get a flight back the next a day later to allow you to go and mm. see some stuff wherever you are in the world? No, it's not. But at the time, you might be so focused on, you know, it's just work, work, work. So, yeah, I definitely missed out on kind of cultural immersion, I would say. I definitely probably missed out on um, establishing relationships outside of the office. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I missed out on things like I could have taken that time to really throw myself into learning the language. There was loads of things I could have done, you know, that I didn't do. Um, so with hindsight... You know, just really think about that. And and I'd say I got better, you know, when I was doing the emerging markets for two, it's sort of in sort of the last few years of that role, when I was spending a lot of time in India and, and China, I, I did try to do that a lot more, but still not enough, mind. Oh, that, I mean, that, that's, um, yeah, that, that's, I think that's probably true for all entrepreneurs, isn't it? You know, they're, they're so focused on the end goal that they're as you said they're not always enjoying the the kind of journey or the process um i know that's definitely kind of true for me sometimes it's kind of easy to get caught up in the in the stress of things and yeah and 
let that cloud everything else um, in your life. You mentioned um, there was things that you didn't necessarily do right, um, you know, when you were in, in kind of Russia and, and, and Spain. Is there anything there you're able to kind of talk about or anything that comes to mind? Um, it's, quite, it's quite tricky, really, um, because obviously there's lots of confidentialities around all this kind yeah. of stuff. But I think... Um, Trying to think, actually. I mean, I think with 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 Russia, it was it was quite difficult because the the joint venture partner we had was um, also the single largest shareholder in the parent company of two EAGs. There was quite a lot of politics involved in it, over and above what we were actually doing in the in that market. Um, and I think I didn't fully appreciate some of that. And, you know, there were times when it's quite dangerous. You know, I mean, I would be in Moscow and there'd be shootings regularly. Right. And I think at the time, I underestimated that. And I'm not saying that I did anything to put anyone at risk or danger, because clearly that wasn't the case. But I probably didn't fully really think about <laughs> the environment I was in. And... Um, Probably, I wouldn't say it was by chance that we, myself and my team were always safe. But there were probably things that we could have done, I could have done to make sure that was more so. And just being a little bit more aware of stuff. So probably a naive, naivety around the, about the environment. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and also I think... But that the comes with experience it, as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, being in that environment, so, you know. Yeah, but I was there for quite a few years. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so so i mean it's not really uh it's not really a, a sort of a kiss and tell kind of situation but i think yeah i was probably slightly naive at the time even though i was well in god i was like well in my 30s then um when i was doing i was late 30s when i was doing that role um but yeah it was it was fortunate that that we we were all safe really um you know mm. Well, obviously, uh, yeah, it's, I suppose, it's kind of the environments we don't necessarily always hear about. Obviously, you know, Russia is very prevalent on the news now, but, you know, before what went on on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, you wouldn't really uh, hear on the news, would you? No. So in terms of um, bringing it up to kind of recent, um, you know, uh, time and, and period you mentioned um you know a recent kind of um setback that you've had with your with your property business and how that's been um you know a bit of a challenge do you want to talk about that yeah i mean listen we, we're really fortunate because we have got a, a very nice portfolio of properties right and we've got you know we've got we i won't be crude enough to talk numbers because i don't think that's appropriate but we've got a, we've got a decent portfolio right so um when we talk about failure i think you have to think of it in the context of what is failure really right but we were when we decide when i came out of corporate um we decided we wanted to do more in property and I'm always go, 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 right? Ambition, ambition. <laughs> <laughs> didn't change, didn't change really. Chris, my other half, is much, much calmer. He's, he's a great, we're a very, we're a good team, you know, because we kind of balance each other out quite well. But, you know, we'd been living in London in our lovely home in Kingston on Thames for sort of 17 years and COVID happened, right? So we were actually over in Mallorca and we'd gone over to Mallorca for a month and we said, oh, sod this lockdown, we'll stay here for a couple of months, why go home? Why not? Um, exactly. So for two people that have spent their career in the travel industry, we were stood on the beach in Poyenza in August and the beach was deserted. And we remember, this is peak season, right? And for a destination like Mallorca, normally it would be rammed. So we're there, we're playing band ball. And Chris said to me, well, you know, if we really want to go for it with the property stuff, now's our time. Now's our time. You know, property prices are going to crash. We're going to be in a great position to clean up. But if we're going to do it, we need to go all in. So let's move to Manchester. <laughs> So even though I am from Manchester and I'm very proud of where I'm from, so please do not interpret this in any way that's, that, that is not meant. Um, I never had this burning desire to go back and live in Manchester. Right? We were investing there because it made a lot of sense, both 
commercially and just family reasons, etc. But I never had this burning desire. So anyway, great idea. So within six weeks, we had got back from Mallorca. We'd rented our home out. We'd moved up to Manchester and we were installed up in Manchester, right? And we thought we would be buying at least two, three properties a month. You know, we thought this is going to be our time to really scale up. We've made this big sacrifice. I left the Deers in Richmond Park and down on the Thames, everything I love, my beautiful home. I left it. We left it. And then we're in Manchester. And, of course, lockdown was pretty rubbish really for everyone um as a lot of people will know the property stock wasn't really appearing on the market there was loads of competition prices did not crash they actually went the complete opposite direction and you know you're competing against you know you have 10 20 people uh, going going around looking at these you know two three bedroom terrace houses right so we still expanded absolutely but not at the pace that we wanted, right? And we'd made this big sacrifice, left our home to go and do this. So, you know, we had a choice and we said, well, listen, we're not really enjoying living here. We're not very happy. The business isn't going the way that we really wanted it. Yes, we're growing, but not as quick. Because this is why I said when you say failure, in what context, right? For us, it wasn't what we what we'd anticipated. So therefore, you know, it wasn't the result we were looking for. But was it a failure? No, because you still got a great portfolio of properties, right? <laughs> so yeah. anyway, but nonetheless, I think it was sacrifice that we'd made personally to kind of up, 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 uproot ourselves and go. So we said, well, listen, we can either sit here on the pity potty, right? Or we can make a, a decision again. So we said, right, let's just go. We'll move. We'll move again. So we enter now. We are living down in South Wales in a place called Mumbles, which is very close. Uh, Chris is originally from Swansea, although he's not lived here for forty years. But now we're loving. You know, I'm looking out the window here. I'm looking out on the beautiful beach and the sea, and we love living here. We're quite nomadic, right? So we can go anywhere. We don't have kids. We can we can be flexible like that. But nonetheless, there's not a lot of people that would uproot themselves twice within the space of sort of 14 months and have the, you know, the, 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 the guts to say, we're not happy, it's not working, we've not made the right choice here, let's go and do something different. But if we'd not done that, we wouldn't be living here. Do you know what I mean? So I'm really kind of grateful because that was probably the lesson that we needed to learn at the time, that this wasn't the right thing for us and there's another alternative option. So, you know, that was kind of the, the context for that situation, Jez. It sounds like you guys made a few assumptions which were ended up kind of being, I suppose, not as expected. I suppose it obviously it was a difficult time to, yep. um, you know, in COVID to actually make any accurate predictions, right? But it sounds like you did make a few assumptions. You assumed that you know moving to Manchester would be that would be the place to to go for your, for yep. your business, and then you also made an, an assumption, like most people did, that the property prices would crash and you were able to accelerate your property portfolio. Um, I suppose what led you to those assumptions and then how quickly did you take to realize that maybe they weren't the right ones? Yeah, I mean, hey, crystal ball, right? <laughs> um, you know, I'm an economist. It's always easier in hindsight, of course. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm an economist, right? So Jesus Christ. <laughs> hey, listen, it, and listen, if the, if the, if the big, big boys in, in the world of finance can't get it right, mm. and uh, then, then I guess your average person isn't necessarily going to be the best at predicting this stuff. But yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, we made some quite bold assumptions. And had they played out, we might have been right. You know what I mean? We could have been right. And it could have absolutely been like, you know, yeah, amazing. Instead of buying two properties a month, let's be buying four. Let's be buying six. Right. Could have been. But that wasn't the case. I would say we realized we'd made a mistake within definitely within six months, definitely within six months. Um, you know, so again, the question is, how long do you give stuff? You know, and and, and when you decide to to quit or to move on or do something different um that's not a negative it's actually a show of strength because we can't get everything right um you know and, and we we made the wrong calls we made the wrong calls on a number of levels 
you know, in terms of where we chose to live, in terms of our assumptions around the macroeconomic situation, you know, and so I guess the thing is, when you make a call that doesn't work out the right way, just really assess it and make a different choice. Don't don't grind it. I mean, I'm I'm very tenacious. I will say you've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. But there does come a point where you go, is this actually working? Because if it's not, then you probably need to do something different. And I think it's it's not being too stubborn, pig-headed, or proud to actually admit that we we made the wrong call and we're not happy. You know, and it was really difficult for me because you know my family's up there and they were all quite excited. Oh, you've come back, you know, after being away for... The wonder you know, returns, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it was quite hard then, within a very short space of time, to say, I'm really sorry, Mum, but we're really not happy here. Mm. That's quite a difficult conversation to have, you know, and there were tears and absolutely very emotional about it all. But ultimately, you only got one life. And you can't live it for other people, right? You've got to live your life the best. Be be kind and be be supportive of your loved ones, of course. But ultimately, you kind of got to live your life, right? Um, so it was it was difficult, Jez. And and yeah, you, again, you throw yourself into the unknown, don't you? Sometimes and just just give it a bloody go. But I always say, well, how bad can it be? It wasn't really how bad I mean, did it, was it get? I mean, you said it obviously. You knew that within six months that it wasn't the right decision. What did yeah. what did it kind of look like? What was the sort of you know that the pivotal moment when you were like, no, this isn't actually working? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there was a couple of things going on. Um, because what it actually did, it made me focus on my other businesses as well. So so whilst you know, and this is what I would say as an entrepreneur or anyone actually is in a job, if you can have multiple streams of income, and I know it's a bit corny. I mean, I've been, we've been mentored by Rob Moore and Mark Homer as well, by the way. So you know, we've been directly mentored by them. But it is true if you have got a few things going on, when one area is maybe you know having a bit of a lean kind of time, if you've got income coming in elsewhere, then you're much more protected. So what it made me do was say, well. Okay, things with the property property side of things are we're not buying to the volume that we wanted to be, but that but that doesn't mean to say I can't be doing other things. So you know, I actually established my mentoring business during that time. Um, you know, I you know, and actually talking about this pre-COVID, I was working on three acquisitions in the travel industry, two for a corporate client and one for a private equity house where I was advising them on the deal. And then I would have taken a non-exec director position on the board of both of those um, organizations post acquisition. They were hugely lucrative or should have been, and they disappeared overnight. So when we were on that beach in Mallorca with our bat and ball, we were down a lot right? All of a sudden, how do you value a travel business during a global pandemic? Well, you can't, is the answer. So the arse fell out of the travel industry, which was one of one of the sectors that I was doing all my advisory work and doing mergers and acquisitions. So we said, like, let's go to property. And then we moved to Manchester. That didn't really, I wasn't flying. So what do I do? Do I sit there moaning? Or do I actually look at what I can do instead? And now, had that not happened, I wouldn't have the hugely successful mentoring business that I've got today, where I'm mentoring people that are, you know, entrepreneurs that are, tur- that are turning over, you know, seven, eight figures and are on the way to, you know, to, to kind of north of that. I wouldn't be mentoring executives in the corporate world um, on their next career move. You know, so out of every adversity, it's how you frame it. But everyone will go, oh, it's all right for you. It's all right for you, Jeanette, you know, no problem. We'll go, hang on a minute. Actually, what you don't know is what goes on behind the scenes. So, you know, there was a lot. And before we started started recording this, Jez, I was, I was, we were talking about what kind of examples might we share. And I'd totally forgotten about that one. But doesn't that show you how resilient you can be? Three deals, the yeah. main source of income really really lucrative deals gone overnight income zero from that business all of a sudden right 
not easy. You've just wiped it from your memory, maybe. I mean, I don't know if that was a, you know, in a, in a you've, you've chosen to do that or whether, you, as you say, you've just put it behind you and, and obviously kind of moved on. Um, some of these things, you know, did you have any kind of backup plans? You talked about obviously, you know, wanting to create multiple streams of income as a way of, of managing your risk. Yeah. But are you making some of these decisions on the fly? Are you kind of thinking, oh, I need, uh, you know, I need to, you know, like might you do in a kind of, corporate you might do risk management exercise mm. but in these scenarios that we're talking about around you know you and the pandemic yeah did you have any backup plans in place or was it literally like oh shit you know the the these deals have gone down i need to come up with a different plan um i, I suppose a bit of both is in reality right because i've run very large global businesses where my you know turnover has been you know half a billion i've had two thousand people on my teams i've, I've had operations in 100 you know 150 countries so i'm used to running big businesses right and yeah, of course. having having multiple versions of a business plan and risk and opportunity schedules so but it is different when you're in when you're an entrepreneur, right? Because you're not going to have like you know the extent of that, right? It's not necessary, and and it and it's too much. So I would say for our property business, I you know I love a spreadsheet. I love my numbers. So we had multiple different versions of what may play out in terms of the business plan and, you know, how we'd be recycling our our funds and, you know, raising the capital that we needed and, and deploying our own kind of capital as well. So with that, I had lots of different scenarios, right? Um, with the, when the global pandemic hit and those three deals that I was working on disappeared overnight, there was no plan B because no one could have anticipated that. Right. It was just out of the blue. So what then happened was that, you know, you just get a bit creative, don't you? And I thought, well, you know, and we're, we're, in a, we're in a fortunate position financially, you know, in terms of we've had both had big corporate jobs for many, many years. Um, you know, I was in the travel industry for 27 years. So, you know, we were in a we weren't we certainly weren't on the breadline, but we were we were in a we had big commitments as well, mm. you know, like like people do. So I'd say property different versions of a business plan, low, mid, high, sort of case kind of thing, um, and be very clear on where we are with the financials. Always know your numbers. You've got to know your numbers. If you don't know your numbers, you know, it's not going to help at all. But then with the, when the other um, business ventures that I was heavily involved in disappeared overnight, there wasn't a plan B for that. So that was where we just kind of got a bit creative. You know, I started doing a lot more on social media. You know, I started my podcast you know, a brave, bold, brilliant. Now it's in the top one and a half percent of podcasts in the world. Now, had I not had that situation, then I wouldn't have that today. So mm-hmm. I, I think I'm the kind of person that just kind of goes, well, unless this is a life or death situation, I can cope with anything. I've just got to like get creative and try some new stuff. And if you throw in, excuse me, I'm not sure I should say this, but if you throw enough shit at the wall, some of it will stick. <laughs> but you might not know which bits, right? <laughs> but sometimes you just got to try a few different things. Yes, have a plan, but then just be a little bit creative and just see where things might lead, you know, and, and just keep an open mind to that. So that's sort of been my approach really over the years, Jez. Um, so when things aren't, don't go your way, learn from it, but then think about, well, what resources have I got? What It might be knowledge, it might be a contact, it might be, I don't know, it might be some experience you've got or it might be that you've had, you've had a business that's failed in the past that maybe it was the timing wasn't great that you could kind of bring something back from that. You know, you've all, everyone, every single person has got resources, even if that's just your time, or whatever it is, but you've got something. So start there. Don't worry about what you haven't got. Think about what you have got, you know? And when when you found out that those deals were essentially dead in the water, yeah, what was your immediate reaction? Shit. <laughs> that's there, that's right? well. I mean, listen. I just, as I say, you, you know, once something's gone, it's gone, right? You can't. I mean, I had a little bit of a. I'm sure I had a bit of a mope around for a couple of days and felt a bit sorry for myself. And then I said, right, okay, well, pull your big girl pants up, you know. Um, <laughs> Think, you know, there'll be something else. Don't worry. You've got your health, right? First and foremost, you've got a partner who adores you and you love. You've got great friends. You know, we're not on the breadline. We have got other businesses. That's massively disappointing. Of course it is, but it's gone. 
So don't like, you know, I, I just I just said, well, there's no point, you know, focusing on that. It's gone. So just leave things in good shape. Keep the door open with those relationships because you never know what might happen in the future. You know, make sure you're keeping in touch with people, um, you know, and, and those organisations that I was working with. And something else will happen in the future. But you can't you can't predict everything, can you? Sometimes you just got to kind of go with the flow a little bit. And did that kind of have any like impact in the sort of the immediate aftermath of that on, you know, your kind of, I suppose, personal life and family life was, you know, like yeah, given, it, the, given the stress of that? Yeah, it was hard. It was hard, you know. I mean, yeah, there was, you know, worry and concern and sleepless nights and yeah, absolutely. And, and all, you know, all of that. I suppose the slight difference was that it was circumstances that, you know, there was nothing I could have done to have saved those deals from, from you know, because there just wasn't. During a global pandemic, you can't, you know, with the travel industry as it was, you know, quite frankly, there's nothing I could have done. So, so in that scenario, you kind of just let it go and then focus on the things you can control. But yeah, no, did I feel did I feel rubbish for a while? Yeah, of course I did. You know, I wasn't worried about what we were going to do next. Absolutely. But, you know, you've just got to really think about what's important at, at that point and be grateful for what you have got. And then look at your resources you've got and say, okay, well, what, what could I do? What could I pick out of this? Um, and if you can do that, even though it sounds easy, it's not always easy to do in reality, but if you can do that when, when failure comes, you know, if a business goes under or whatever, you know, there'll have been loads of successes along the way. Just because it failed in the end doesn't mean it was a failure. In the same way as something that's been seen as successful or someone is seen as successful, not everything will have been successful. They've had stacks of things that have gone wrong, stacks of failings along the way. You know, so I think as a society, we tend to just judge the end, the end result, the success or the failure. And it's too black and white, in my opinion. It's never like that. You know, so people don't know the struggles that go on behind successful people. Um, and people don't know the successes that happen even when something is perceived as a failure, right? So I think you've, you've just got written to dig the whole deep. introduction to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, always a pleasure. There up. you go. Because <laughs> um, I mean, that's exactly why you know uh, we're here and we're having this conversation to bring to light, you know, the the, the failures and the stories that don't get talked about um, in, as you say, in, in people's success. What what did some of these setbacks? Has any of those setbacks kind of changed your perspective on on business? Massively, massively. I tell you what it's done, right? When I was in the corporate world, I used to tell myself that I am an incredible CEO in corporate. I know how to I know how to present to the city and the analysts. I know how to build big teams. I know how to, you know create amazing products and propositions for these big brands. I'm really good at that. I'm great at dealing with the internal politics, the governance. I'm really good in that space. But I used to tell myself I'm not I'm not entrepreneurial. Right? And and that what a load of absolute rubbish. Mm. I, I just had it in my head that I was great at this. But I therefore, if I was great in corporate, I, I'm not entrepreneurial. And of course, what I've learned through that is I am absolutely brilliant at being an entrepreneur. But I've had to really train myself, you know, sort of tell myself a different story. And what I now do is I bring the best of those big businesses that I ran, um, that I was very proud of what I'd achieved in that world. But I now apply it in the world I'm in today, which is as a business owner with multiple businesses, helping other um, you know, people either scale up their career or their businesses. So I, I'm able to, to kind of bridge that, 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 those two worlds, if you like. And it's probably quite rare, I think, for someone to have done, it's, it's more rare for someone to have done corporate to entrepreneur. They might have done entrepreneur to corporate, but you know, they are quite different environments. And I think what I've learned is that I am much more entrepreneurial. I am incredibly resilient. I always knew I was resilient. Um, and also I take life less seriously now. 
I try not to sweat the small things. You know, I try to let things go. Things that would have really bothered me, and like the younger me, I try to you let go. You want to enjoy the journey like you, you didn't do in Barcelona. 100%. 100%. And I'm also very aware of, I'm much more aware of health mm. than ever. And that's probably, you know, it's partly because, you know, I'm 51, but Chris is 61, and he's not some old fossil. But we have proper, real conversations around in reality, we've probably got 15 good years. We've been together 18 years and that's gone by in an absolute like flash. So what do those 15 years look like? Now, I'm not saying we're going to be like, you know, popping off our clogs. We might do, but you're going to feel very different at 66 and 76, which we will be in 15 years time, than you feel when you're 46 and 56. Do you know what I mean? So I think we've become quite um, a lot more philosophical about mm. things and a lot more focused on what's really important. And yeah, you know, I'm ambitious. I will never stop working. I love it. Mm. I love business. I love people. I, I'm really clear on my purpose now. Um, whereas when I was younger, I was probably less clear, you know, and um, and there's a, there's a piece around, I think, not having your own and not having children. We don't have kids. We chose not to have kids. But as a woman, that's that's quite a thing to then think, well, what's my legacy then? Because the natural thing is your legacy is your kids, right? Mm -hmm. Totally great. But if you don't have kids, why am I here? Mm -hmm. You know, so I've done a lot of kind of just working through that. And that's yeah. a whole separate podcast in itself, isn't it? <laughs> um. It is, it is. <laughs> it is. But yeah, so, so no, I've learned a huge amount. But I'm oh. always learning, still learning, right? Well, I think that's the best mindset you can have in, in business and in life, really, isn't it? So what advice would you give to listeners who might have had a, like a setback or a significant challenge within their business of late? Yeah, I would say um, the first thing is you've got to really believe in yourself and work on work on your own, your own kind of mental well-being, really. And that can be hard because when you've had a kick in, it can really knock you for six, absolutely. But whatever way you do it, you have to get feeling good about you again. Um, so I think that piece is the most powerful uh, because if you're not in good shape, you're not going to be able to be the best version for yourself, for your loved ones, for your business, for your colleagues, you know, your teams, etc. But that can be very hard when you've had a knockback. But there may be, it might be a little thing. It might be that, I don't know, you just get out of the bloody house. Mm. You know, if, you, if you're in a dark place, which can be when these things happen, go and get some fresh air. It might be something really simple, sitting in the garden with a cup of tea and listening to the mm. birds, whatever it is. But you've got to really get yourself in, in the best mental and physical shape that you can so that's the first thing and, and just really work on that every day you know i think the other thing is you know try and get really clear on what's gonna what what you want next and even if you don't have a master plan a big game plan but you kind of know what you want for right now then you know it's going to be much easier for you to get there you know some people have all these dreams and they never they don't make them happen you know there's a there's a great les brown you know um, the motivational speaker who's who's passed away but you know he tells he tells his story about you know if you're at your deathbed and you've got the ghosts around your deathbed of all the dreams the aspirations the things you could have done and they're saying to you you could have brought us to life and now we've got to die with you. Right? You know, don't be that person. Get really clear on what it is that you really want. And, um, and I think then just take the action. Even if you don't have a master plan, just do something small every day that's going to take you that one step further. And it might be two steps back, one step forward. That's okay, but take the action. You know? And I, I really believe that there's a formula for success and it's belief, being clear, you know, really believing in yourself, purpose and action those three elements are going to be the things that are going to help you move forward um but it's you know and and i, I just i just think about context you know unless someone has died here anything else apart from that is a good day some amazing advice there so um i suppose just kind of wrapping up if you could go back in in time and you know take that you know that period of of challenge you know those three deals you know, uh, falling out of bed and then and then the sort of challenges around COVID and, and you making the wrong decision about moving to Manchester. Would you 
uh, erase all of that from happening? No, no, because, and the reason why is because if we'd not done that, we wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't be living here, which we absolutely love. And hey, who knows where we'll be living? Who knows where we'll be this time next year? We might be somewhere else, you know. Um, but if you don't, if you don't take the learnings. Um, so no, I don't regret any of that. But do I look back and I think, oh, what have I learned? How have I grown as a person? Yes, I do reflect, but I don't regret it. Um, I don't regret making those choices because they were the right things to do at the time. They felt the right things, um, even though with hindsight, which is a great thing, they, they clearly weren't. But I don't think we'd be in, in anywhere near as good a shape as we are today if that hadn't happened. Absolutely. So just going to end on a quick fire round. So I've got some short questions. I just need some quick fire, short answers. So failure is? Learning. What is your life's mission? To unlock greatness in myself and others by being brave, bold, and brilliant. Amazing. What piece of advice would you want to give on your deathbed to others? Believe in yourself. Name one habit that keeps you resilient. Running. If you could be immortal, would you take it? No. Why not? I think everyone has a time and a place. What's one surprising fact that not many people know about you? Oh, I used to be a Morris dancer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't expecting that. Is that big in Manchester, is it? <laughs> Probably was back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and who's one or two people that you can recommend as a guest that I should have on this podcast? Okay, Gerald Ratner. You're the second person who's reckoned, uh, recommended him. So, And I'm actually having lunch with Gerald on Monday. <laughs> okay, great. I was actually at lunch with him last week, but I actually didn't get to talk to him because there was a lot of other people there. But um, is Gerald? there anyone else? Yeah, um, Yeah. so Gerald, definitely. Um, I think, um, yeah, Matt Fidesz is a really interesting character as well. Matt Fidesz was Michael Jackson's former bodyguard, but he's got the largest martial arts um, business as well in, in Europe. Big property guy too. Um, and then Dodge Woodall. You ever heard of Dodge? No. Dodge Woodall. He has um, a festival called the Bournemouth Sevens, um, and he's got a very successful podcast as well called Eventful Lives. Really okay. interesting guy and very charismatic. So, yeah, great okay, podcast. Perfect. Though. Thank you for those. Um, I, will, I will follow up accordingly on those so and um, where can um, people connect with you and, and find more about everything that you do so yeah i'm all over social media jeanette linfoot two n's and two t's in jeanette <laughs> um, and then my podcast brave bold brilliant so please subscribe follow me there i've got a youtube channel as well jeanette linfoot so yeah all of those all of those areas really and i've got a website as well um jeanette uh, so yeah i'm always around please connect with me Amazing. Um, yeah, definitely can vouch for your your podcast. So um, yeah, go and check that out. So Jeanette, thanks so much for being here. Um, you know, we've I've, I've managed our time well, because I know you've got to kind of run to another meeting. So um, yeah, thanks so much for, uh, for being here and all the stories and insight you've shared. Um, I think it's been a great conversation. So yeah, um, thanks again. Thank you for having me, Jez. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Fail. Really hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new. Please do subscribe to the show and leave us a review. It really does help us to grow and to reach more people. Do follow us on social media too. We're at Jeswood on Instagram and at Beyond the Fail on YouTube and also on Linktree. Thanks again and see you soon.